0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. A wheel of destruction. Doesn't that sound awesome? Right? I'm excited. Uh, Several months ago, uh, a group of our girls and their moms went to the True Girl event. And Sarah was one of them, my wife, and, and our daughter Abigail went, and uh, on the back of the True Girl program was an advertisement for Born to be Brave, and Sarah thought, hey, this would be great for Matt and Isaiah to go to, and so um, she looked it up and couldn't find where it was going to be in our area, and she emailed them, and they said, well, actually it's not coming to East NC. we have a radio station that's willing to sponsor it and promote it and pay for it, but we just need a host church. Uh, maybe you can reach out to your pastor and see if they'd be willing. And she said, I got this, you know. And so she, she told me, she's like, hey, we got this opportunity. And so this is awesome. I'm excited. This is actually going to be here at Discovery. If you've heard it on the radio, um, in a week and a half, March 17th, we're going to have the Wheel of Destruction right here on the stage, destroying stuff, shooting out ping pong balls, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, but with that, we need some guys that could help us volunteer. Um, I'd love for the men of this church to be able to host this event um, for all these boys and dads uh, in the Tri-Cities to come. We have about 130 people signed up already um, to be able to come to this event. And so we need some guys that are willing to um, take tickets, willing to work security, willing to uh, help tear down afterwards, willing to help set up the, the Monday before. And so if you are interested in that, if you could give um, that Tuesday night and be part of a bunch of guys, see a wheel of destruction, can't beat that, right? And we'd love for you to sign up at Connection Point on your way out. Um, It's just neat to see what God's doing. Like even that, we got this phone call or this email that Sarah reaches out and they say, yeah, we just need a host church. And we got someone that's willing to pay for it, willing to advertise it, willing to do everything. We just need a place. And it's just neat to see God working. Right on your way in, you saw, you probably walked by, if you didn't notice it, then you are tired. There is a new church van outside, right outside the door. We actually have a new working church van. Isn't that exciting? Yeah? I'm excited. Um... If you've been here for several years, you know you would be a lot more excited about this. Because uh, three or four years ago, uh, another church donated their van. They figured it wasn't safe enough anymore, so we'll see. Discovery wanted it? And I was like, yeah, we'll take it. And so it was uh, a beat-up van. Steve Gibson took it and made it safe to drive. But it still was leaking, and there were certain seats that you couldn't sit in if it was raining. Otherwise, you'd get soaked. And there's mushrooms growing in the carpet. It, but we were thankful to have a van. And so it's amazing to see what God's done to be able to bring us to a point where, uh, because of your giving and your generosity, we have a van that was used this past weekend um, for a children's event. It's going to be used this weekend for a middle school event down to Atlanta. And so it is uh, such a blessing. And so it's been neat to see God working and born to be brave in, in the van and sent to serve coming up. In so many things, we've seen God's hand. And I truly believe it's been, his hand's been alive and active in in this Discovering Jesus series. Uh, On your way out last week, maybe you got one of the little booklets. I, I think we have a few still on the table if you didn't get one. It's been neat to see these devotions, these individual devotions uh, that people from this church wrote. And so I- every morning we've even done it as a family, and it's been neat. We open it up, and, and the first one happened to be Bill Doherty, and so it was my kid's grandpa, and they're excited. Grandpa wrote one. But then the next day to open in, there's Diane Mullins, and then and Tammy Culkins, and Jeremy Hawley, and then Chris Scaravan, and, and it was neat. They're, they're like, oh, we know them. Oh, we know him. Oh, this is great. And, and it was just neat to be able to work through this as our church family. And so if you haven't picked one of those up, please do so, or you can uh, get to it on our social media. We have a digital version of it. Uh, there's even a family pack in there for each week to be able to do a family devotion. Uh, we did ours last week at Steak and Shake, and, and you can imagine how that went. But, um, but we, we had a good time. And so it's just been neat to see God working. God was working last week as Elliot brought in the message to introduce us To discovering Jesus as the light. Most of our service was in the darkness, and and it was so neat. uh, I I actually snuck up on stage second hour just because I wanted to see it from up here as we went from pitch black to the lights coming on around the room as we represented being the light of God, being filled with Jesus' light. And so it was just a powerful week. And we've been going through, we're going to be going through discovering Jesus, and this week looking at him as the restorer. Discovering Jesus as the restorer, and, and to do that it begins this idea of God restoring us begins back at the beginning, Genesis chapter three is when God first comes in and restores mankind. We have this verse three seventeen says then to Adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you have eaten from tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. Adam and Eve, you know the story, took the forbidden fruit, the one thing God had commanded them not to do. They took of that and, and they ate that fruit and, then, and they realized that they were sinful and they, they realized that they had done wrong and they tried to cover themselves up with, with fig leaves and, and here God comes and, and there's a consequence for their sin. Don't miss that. Obviously, there was for Adam. There's a consequence, but there's also restoration. Further on in that chapter, verse 21, it says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. They tried restoring themselves. They tried making these fig leaves, but it wasn't enough. What they had to do was turn to God. And God had a sacrifice. An animal had to die because of their sin. That's why death first crept in to the story of creation. But because God was willing to have that sacrifice, they then Had tunics of of fur, tunics of animal skin to cover up. This was the first step of restoration. And so this morning we're going to dive into a story, a story probably familiar to many of you. It's found in Mark chapter 2. It's the story of the paralyzed man and his four friends. It's a story you probably already know, and if you grew up in church, you've heard this story, you've maybe acted out this story. If you've read your, if you've read your Gospels, you've come across this story because it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. It's a story that many of us are familiar with, but this morning I, I want to ask you, instead of just kind of blowing it off because you know this story, dive into this story. Dive into the story and picture yourself as that paralyzed man. I think there's going to be moments in this morning you're going to see yourself in this story as the paralyzed man. There's going to be moments in this story you're going to see yourself as one of the four friends. There might even be moments in the story that you're going to see yourself as one of the Pharisees that are in the story. Dive into the story as we see Jesus, as we discover Jesus as the Restorer. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, or we'll have it up on the screen. Uh, as we go into the story of Jesus as the Restorer, chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Jesus had been in Capernaum. He had, had taught in, in Peter's house. And then he went out and he, he gathered more disciples. He performed some miracles. He did some teachings. And now he's come back to Capernaum. And so I picture that he came back. I, I would think he came back kind China of as a, a break, Kind of as a rest as to find some peace, to get rejuvenated, to get, uh, to get ready, to be able to go back out. But the people have heard he's here. Word has got out. They see his disciples in town and they know wherever they are, Jesus is going to be there too. And, and so they start asking, have, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And word gets out that he's at a certain house. Most likely it was probably Peter's house because that's where he went in chapter 1 when he was in Capernaum. So word gets out that he's at Peter's house and, and people come and knock on the door and they say, is Jesus here? And, and Jesus, in his nice way, says, go ahead and let him in. And so a crowd comes and they begin to learn from him and, and word gets out and more people come and soon the home is packed. Verse 2 says, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. I love this part because it's important to note They're not packed in there. They're not coming from all around, from Capernaum and from other villages, all because they want to be healed, all because they want to see miracles. They're coming just to hear him teach. They're that amazed, that marveled at his words, at his teaching, that they're coming in, in, in crowds, in groups, packing into this home, that they're willing to stand outside and just hope to listen in from over the fence Because they just want to hear what Jesus has to say. The same thing that He's saying, we have in our scriptures. We have His teachings. We have the Sermon on the Mount. We have these things, and so often we we just take it for granted and we gloss over the Gospels. Oh, I've heard that before. The crowd is coming from nearby villages just because they want to hear what Jesus has to say. And we have it every day in our phone, we have it on on the Bible, on the shelf at, at home. And we often ignore it. The crowds are coming to hear his words. And so the crowd comes and the house is packed. As far as we know, Peter was an upper middle class fisherman, came from a, a fisherman's family and they had boats. So we think that he's upper middle class. And, and the homes in that time for upper middle class would have, if you can picture, kind of a courtyard, a square courtyard surrounded by rooms. And in that courtyard, there was awnings that would kind of cover much of the courtyard to protect people from the sun and the weather and the elements. And then one part of the courtyard would lead out into a gate that would go onto the city, to the city street. And so here you have this crowd, and I just kind of picture that Jesus is in a corner of that courtyard, underneath an awning, protected from the sun, and he's teaching. And this crowd gets fuller and fuller and more and more crowded. Because it's people not just from Capernaum but from all over, the word has got out, and there's there's people that want to learn, there's people that are curious, there's people that are just going along with the crowd, and there's people that are looking to criticize. The Pharisees and teachers of the law have heard that this Jesus is teaching, and they're wondering what is this teaching that he's had, what he's doing, and and they've heard rumors about it, and so they've come too. And as Pharisees, they've had the seat of honor, and the crowd would open up for them and let them come in. And so they're sitting right there at Jesus' feet, hearing him teach. And so the crowds have gathered, and the home is, is packed. And then we get to verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. We don't know much about the paralyzed man. Really, we know very little. Perhaps the man was born paralyzed. That this has been his whole life. This is all he's known. That when the other kids went and played, he didn't get a chance to. That when the other people were, were going and courting, courting lives, that wasn't an option for him. That when the other men are now working, the best he can do is beg for change. This has been his life, and, and perhaps the, perhaps this is all he's known. And so now every day, the only thing that a crippled, a crippled beggar, a crippled person could do in this time was to beg. So every day he goes by the city gate, people have to drag him there, carry him there, place him down. And he's on the ground where people kick dust in his face. Perhaps spit on him, maybe, just maybe, they'll give him their loose change. But very rarely would they even look him in the eye. It's a hard existence that this man has had. Perhaps he wasn't born like this. Maybe, maybe he, there was an accident. I don't know which is worse to imagine him, that he's always been like this. Or, or perhaps maybe that he has a wife and kids, and then there was a tragedy. And there's this accident, and now he's paralyzed. And he asks his friends to be able to drag him to the city gate just so he can make a, a little bit of money to be able to support his wife and kids because he can no longer do the job that he once did. We don't know the man's story, but we know he's got some friends. We know he's got these four guys that, that have been there by his side. Maybe they're his brothers, cousins, or, or friends. Maybe when he was little and he was paralyzed, he just used to kind of throw him over their shoulder and have him ride piggybacked and they would all go down to the river and play and just send him on the side. But now that he's older and a man, it takes four of them to carry him around. But he's got these friends. And I like to picture one of the friends is that crazy friend, right? You guys know that, that crazy friend, that group of your friends that is always coming up with something nutty to do. Like that is always extreme, kind of slightly questionable ideas. And if you can't think of that friend in your group, then that's probably you, all right? Other people right now are thinking of you in that group. And so that, that's usually my role. And so we got this crazy friends. And so I picture that they get there and they're coming up and they see the crowd is already on the street. As they get closer, they turn to each other and they turn to the paralyzed man. They're like, man, there's no way we're going to get in here. Maybe a kid could have crawled in and weaved in and out and got up to Jesus. But no way four grown men carrying a stretcher are going to get up into the center of the courtyard. And then that crazy friend has an idea. He's like, just wait. Just wait. They go to the neighbor's house, and the neighbor is next door listening to Jesus, and so the door's wide open, and so they, they just break in. They go in, and they go up the stairs and get to the roof of that house. The, roofs are, the houses were right next to each other, and so they can go on that roof, and now they come over, and they step onto Peter's roof. And they come over, and they see the crowd in the courtyard where the awning isn't, and they're all pointing in one direction, so they go, and they stand, and they figure, Jesus must be right here. They anticipate he's right below us right now. And then that crazy friend says, all right, here's the next part of my idea, right? And so verse 4 says, Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat the man was lying on. You can picture Jesus is teaching, and and it's probably something deep and and something theological, and they're learning about God, and the crowd sees these four guys (laughs) coming, and they land on top of the awning above Jesus, And then they see grass and dirt falling down on Jesus. He looks up. He sees that he's lost the crowd because everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. He looks up, and dust and grass is coming down in his face and into his beard. And then a little ray of light shines through. And the little ray of light slowly gets bigger as they are taking pieces away, and they're taking grass and mud away. And eventually they look up, and Jesus looks up, and there's these four guys, and they're looking down at Jesus. And they, they tell each other, we did it. And then they take the man and they lower him. And I don't know how it went. And it doesn't say anything that they brought any ropes, So they might have figured out a way to lower him gently. Or they just, in my ideas, they have crazy friends just like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Right? <laughs> He's paralyzed. And we're getting him to Jesus. Foop! And thud. And so he just lands at Jesus's feet. And he got him a picture like the curious face that this paralyzed man would have. As he sees the crowd... The Pharisees staring at him, Jesus looking down at him, and him looking up at Jesus. They look up, and here's his four friends all peering over just to see what Jesus would do. Verse 5 says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. What a beautiful statement. Son, your friends, your sins are forgiven. But I can't help but wonder, like I said, if you picture yourself in this story, picture yourself as one of those friends, right? You've been carrying around your your buddy for a long time, and he's heavy, and he's a burden, and he he can't even have a job, and he just wants to be normal, and he just wants to, to walk and dance and have a job, and he can't do any of this, and you found a way to get him to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, It's one of those friends, I I think I might even be a little disappointed, a little sad, thinking, that's great, Jesus, but that's not what we're here for. We brought him to be healed. We brought him so he'd be able to walk. And and as I sit here and see the story, like I said, I I picture myself a a little bit as one of these friends that sometimes I have a plan for what I want Jesus to do. I have a plan for how God's going to answer my prayer requests that I've already come up with. Oftentimes that might even be my prayer. Lord, please help this happen so this can happen so that works out. I give God the answers as if he needed my help. And I have this plan of how it's supposed to go. These four friends probably had a plan of how this was going to go. And, and that's not Jesus' plan. Jesus' priority was that his sins were forgiven. And so often we have our own plan and we get disappointed almost a little sad like these guys when it doesn't go how we wanted instead of stepping back and seeing what God wanted and so he says that your sins are forgiven as I said the Pharisees are there for the crowd everyone has marveled that at this scene if someone just broke through the roof dropped the paralyzed man and says the sins are forgiven but at that the Pharisees are upset and they're not just upset, they're enraged. Because this is, this is equal to blasphemy. This is saying that, uh, that uh, because only God for, could forgive sins. It says, verse 6, and says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Their theology is correct. Their doctrine is correct. Only God could forgive sins. And if this was any other person, then yes, it's blasphemy. But this is God. This is God. He does have the power to forgive the sins. He is God, and God is in him. He is the Son of God. And so Jesus has the power to forgive the sins, yet they don't realize that because they miss the fact that they're in the presence of the Lord. Up until this point, to be restored uh, of your sins, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, you had to go through this process. It was a very legal process, and you had to go and give a sacrifice and, and do certain things, and then you would have to repeat that over and over and over again. And they were so caught up in this way that it was supposed to be that they missed God's presence. As I said, and you might relate to the friends in this story, and at times I think I relate to the Pharisees. That God's there around me, and I miss it. That I'm so caught up in the way it's supposed to be, in the structure, in, in these tasks that are supposed to be done, that I miss God's presence there with me. That I'm so caught up in my pain and my hurt that I miss that God is there with me. That I'm so caught up in my own anxiety, that in my own worry, in my own fears, that I miss that God is there with me. I don't know if that's something you've experienced, but I know there's times that I miss God's presence when he's right there in front of me. And so this is what they, they found themselves, that they're upset and they miss that God is there with them and they, call, and they say that it's blasphemy. And verse 8, we see the second miracle of the story, right? The, the first miracle is the forgiveness of the sins, but here comes the second miracle. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit That this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? The Mesoretic text says, why are you thinking these evil things? Jesus knows what they're thinking in their hearts, and, and he knows that this is not of God, that these are evil thoughts to, to say that he's blaspheming, would to say he's not God, and he is. He is 100% God and 100% man, and to say those things would be completely wrong, and he's saying, why are you thinking these things? And then he continues, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and Walk. Obviously both would be easy to say but only one could you prove. If he had said get up and take your mat and walk and if the man was still paralyzed, obviously they'd be able to prove right then and there that Jesus was crazy, that Jesus was a liar, that Jesus was a false prophet. So which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. That's when they couldn't prove. They can't prove if this guy's sins are gone. They can't prove if he's telling the truth or not. And so he says, which one would be easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? And then he continues, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I I told you, I got the authority. The most important thing is the restoration of his soul. That's the thing that was most important to me. And so, that's what I first did, was to forgive his sins. But in case you're questioning that I have that ability, let me show you this as well. Get up, take your mat, and go. See, in this time, the Pharisees would have figured that this man was paralyzed just because of the sins. Sometimes there's a debate if it was his sins or the sins of his father uh, and his parents. But either way, they thought oftentimes that physical ailments were the result of sins. So in that mind of thinking, picture this. He's already forgiven the sins. You want proof? Get up and walk away. The sins aren't putting him there on the mat anymore. The sins aren't having him paralyzed there anymore. Get up and walk and so verse 12 says, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I picture those friends are just ecstatic on the roof, and they go, and they run to the neighbor's house, go down the stairs, and they go outside waiting for their friend to come out. The crowd, the man picks, stands up, rolls up his mat, and the crowd is just in awe. This is the beggar that they see every day on the city gate. The crowd separates him to let him walk out the gate to meet his friends, and I just got a picture. The scene was awesome. This guy's got just radiant joy. He's shocked, but he's excited. He's giving high fives to the people that used to kick dust in his face because he's so excited. And he goes outside and he meets his friends, and they just jump up and down and they're rejoicing. They're and they're hooting and hollering. They're so excited. And I love, it says, this amazed everyone as they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. This amazed the crowd. And it's important to note, in Mark chapter 1, in the same house, in Peter's home, there's already been a healing. Jesus already healed Peter's mom. They have seen that before. They're excited and ecstatic and amazed because they've never seen someone forgive the sins. The thing that makes this whole crowd excited, this whole crowd ecstatic is the same thing that you and I get to experience, that we we have the experience that our sins are forgiven, that we have salvation, that we have eternity in heaven. This morning during first hour, we had three kids that were baptized. It was so exciting to see that. To know that these kids, their salvation is locked in. That they have eternity with Jesus. As you talk about that, the crowd was amazed and they said they'd never seen this before. And how exciting is that? We have seen that before. In your life, in my life, in these kids' lives this morning. We have seen this. How amazing and wonderful is that? And his four friends are excited and he's excited. And the whole crowd is stunned. Because he's been restored spiritually, his soul. The paralyzed man was restored from being paralyzed. He was restored from a life of begging. He was restored from a life of indignity. He was restored from a life of people kicking sand and dirt in his face. He was restored from a lifetime of being paralyzed and having to rely on his friends to drag him around. He was restored from his sins, most importantly. that's the first thing Jesus focused on was your sins are forgiven. He was restored from his sins. As Elliot talked last week, that Jesus is the light and the darkness is our sins. The darkness is Satan. The darkness is the world. And he was restored from the darkness into the light. What are we restored from? As I said, we see ourselves in the the friends, perhaps, in the story. Perhaps you saw yourselves in the Pharisees. But maybe you can see yourselves in the story as the paralyzed man. Because each of us have been restored from something. I hope and pray that you have seen Christ in your life restore you from something. That perhaps you've been restored from the pain of the past. Perhaps you've been restored from an addiction. An addiction you couldn't break, but, you, but with, through the help of Jesus Christ, you were able to overcome this addiction. Perhaps you've been restored from a failing marriage. That your marriage was falling apart and Jesus came in. And through, through focusing on him and counseling, you were able to save this marriage. Perhaps you've been restored from bankruptcy or depression or despair. Perhaps you've been restored from loneliness, from a broken home, from abuse. We've been restored from something. At the very least, we've been restored from our sins. How amazing is that? It left the crowd in shock. It left the crowd amazed to see someone restored from their sins. But it's not just enough to be restored from something, but look at what they were restored to. The man was restored from being paralyzed to being an example. That everyone in the town, every time they see him, whether they see him at the well or see him at the marketplace, see him when he's working, wherever they would see the man from this point forward, it would be a glory to God. That he was restored to glorifying God, that his new life was a testimony of God's power, of God's strength, of God's restoration, of not only him physically, but of him spiritually. That he's been restored to something great. And when we are restored from something, it's important for us to see what are we restored to. You don't just restore something and expect it to go back to where it was that made it corrupt in the first place. Several weeks ago, we looked at a dresser that, that I had come across, and, and it was beat up and it had been weathered, and animals had used it for shelter, and it was just disgusting. And we put a year's worth of work into making it nice and, and polishing it and cleaning it out and removing the smell and putting on new handles and so forth. Now imagine if we took that beautiful new dresser and I put it back outside. Just let it get weathered again, let the animals find shelter in it again. That's not, that wouldn't have been worth it. What would be the point of restoring that dresser? No, it was restored from A weathered piece of furniture to the centerpiece of our house. What are you restored from what are you restored to? From an addiction. That you're restored to the testimony of the power of of Jesus Christ to overcome that addiction. That you're restored from despair and depression to joy that you could only find in Christ Jesus. That you're restored from from pain to a life of healing in God's hands. Restored from abuse to passing forward love. Restored from our sins to be God's creation. Pure with salvation intact. What are you restored from? And equally important, what are you restored to? Psalm 23 3 says, He restores, it says, He refreshes my soul. Other versions say, He restores my soul. It's a continual, ongoing process. It isn't a, a, it happened once and then it's over. His restoration continues, continues to this day, perhaps, for you. What are you restored from? What is God restoring you to? This morning, we wanted to close this message time with kind of a symbolic act. Now, there's a card on, on your seat uh, that you'll see, and it's got a, a hole punch, and on one side it says from, and on the other side it says to. And I want to encourage you to, to fill out this card, that, that each person in this room would fill out this card. And on the from, what has he restored you From. Perhaps this is something from your past that that you know God has restored you from. And and perhaps this card is a card of victory. A victory card that you can say, God took me from this place to this place. That he took me from an addict to a testimony. That he took me from a broken marriage to a marriage that's full of passion and love for Christ. That he took me from a sinner to someone that's saved. And so on the from side, right, what is God taking you from? maybe this is a victory card maybe this is a prayer card don't put your name on it but maybe this is a card of something you're actively going through now something you need restoration from maybe you're struggling with an addiction or with pain or with pain from abuse what is the from and then equally important turn the card over and what are you restored to to a life of bringing God glory, to a healthy marriage, to a new way, to a new outlook, to a life of love, what are you being restored to? And and I'm going to pray, and then I want to encourage everyone to go and, and place this card on the cross, because that's where the paralyzed man was restored. However he got there, he was at the foot of Jesus and that's where he found restoration. We're not going to find it in our spouse, we're not going to find it in our friends. We're not going to find it in our coworkers, we're not going to find it in a self-help book, we're not going to find it in a counselor. We're not going to find restoration in your family, you're not going to find restoration in your parents, in your siblings, in your neighbors, in anywhere like that. The one place we can find true restoration, true redemption is in Jesus Christ. This is where we will find where we can be restored from and what we're going to be restored to. So I'm going to pray and then I want to encourage you to go place that card on the cross to give this to Jesus. This this victory card of what he's already done or maybe this prayer card of what you need him to do and place this at the cross. If you'll pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your love and care. And God, we thank you that you have redeemed us, you have restored us. Lord, right now I just pray that as we fill out this card that it'll be an act to, to have a physical way to remind us of what you have done or what we're crying out to you to do. God, you are the great restorer. And this morning as we discover Jesus, let us discover you as the restorer. In your name.